0: Connecting to Secret Live Stream. Please stand by. Okay, I think. I think we're online now and yes, yes, I see the guests starting to arrive. Let's just check that people are here. Yes, uh mister President Ah uh, Prime Minister Ah uh, Your Highness, thank you for joining us. Uh executive directors of various sorts, assembled Super Gophers, all of you, thank you for joining us today. Is that Rumsfeld's camp? No, Rumsfeld will not be joining us today, at least not via webcam. Alright get him off the screen. Okay. Well, as I say, thank you for joining me today. Not that you had a choice. I am your deep state briefer for today and my name is unimportant to you. And as you may or may not have been told by your handlers before they rushed you into this meeting, today we're going to be talking about the subject of designing humans for fun and profit. Yes, it will be fun and it will be profitable. But as you probably don't know, don't worry. Of course, our usual propaganda purveyors and mouthpieces are busily out there preparing the public psychologically for the steps that we are about to put them through and putting out the usual type of PR blather about where our technologies are trending. So I want to emphasize the the purpose of Neuralink. Like, uh, what do we... What's our goal? Our goal
1: is to solve important spine and brain problems, with a seamlessly, seamlessly implant, implanted device. So you wanna have a device that you can basically uh, put in your head um, and feel and look totally normal, uh, but it solves uh, some, some important problem um, in your brain or spine.
2: What is Precision Health? Well, now that we have the technology to actually synthesize large amounts of data, we can actually create individualized data sets for any given person that includes everything about them. All the way from their genetic code that they were born with to the biological changes that have occurred in their body through development, through early childhood, through environmental exposures, and their behavior patterns. Do they smoke? Do they not smoke? Do they eat healthy? Do they exercise? All of these behaviors matter because that impacts a person's biology, that impacts a person's genetic material in a permanent way that results in health or disease. And that's the concept of precision health. How is that going to disrupt our health care? Well, it's going to disrupt our health care in a number of ways. but. Some of the major things that will happen over the next few years, is that we're going to be able to treat diseases, like cancer, that previously were not treatable, or previously were uniformly fatal. How is that going to happen with precision medicine?
3: So here's an experiment we're doing in the lab. This is a participant who's feeling a pattern of vibration streamed from the net, and after five seconds, two buttons appear on the tablet and he has to make a choice. And then he makes a choice, and then a second later he gets feedback. A smiley face or a frowny face. Now he has no idea what these patterns mean or what he's doing. We're seeing if he gets better at being able to make good choices on the tablet. What he doesn't know is that we're feeding in real-time stock market data, and he's making buy and sell decisions. So what we're seeing is whether he can develop a direct perceptual experience of the economic movements of the planet.
4: The woman in this video has ALS.
5: She is completely trapped inside her body. She cannot move or speak, but she is typing with her mind, not
4: with eye blanks, with her mind. An array of
5: electrodes the size of a pea has been implanted where her brain would normally control her motor functions. The electrodes record her neuron's firing when she imagines moving the cursor. Then the computer learns to move it for her. Using
4: this system, she can type 8 words per minute.
5: She is typing at 8 words per minute directly with her brain.
0: <laughs> Helping cripples type I <laughs> I love that old cunard. I know, yeah. Personalized medicine, and we're gonna wire you into the stock market or wire the stock market into you for your benefit, right, guys? <laughs> we might as well offer them a free banana if they will hook themselves into our mind reading devices. This is Pager. He's a nine year old macaque who had a Neuralink placed in
6: each side of his brain about six weeks ago. If you look carefully, you can see that the fur on his head hasn't quite fully grown back yet. He's learnt to interact with a computer for a tasty banana smoothie delivered through a straw. We can interact with the Neuralink's simply by pairing them to an iPhone, just as you might pair your phone to a Bluetooth speaker. The links record from more than 2,000 electrodes implanted in the regions of Page's motor cortex that coordinate hand and arm movements. Neurons in this region modulate their activity with intended hand movement. For example, some might become more active when he moves his hand up, and others when he moves it to the right. By recording from many neurons and feeding their activity into a decoder algorithm, we are able to predict Pager's intended hand movements in real time. First, we calibrate the decoder by recording neural activity as Pager uses the joystick to move a cursor to targets presented on the screen. As he's playing this game, we're wirelessly streaming in real time the firing rates from thousands of neurons to a computer. Using these data We calibrate the decoder by mathematically modelling the relationship between patterns of neural activity and the different joystick movements they produce. After only a few minutes of calibration, we can use the output from the decoder to move the cursor instead of the joystick. Pages still moves the joystick out of habit, but as you can see, it's unplugged. He's controlling the cursor entirely with decoded neural activity. Our goal is to enable a person with paralysis to use a computer or phone with their brain activity alone. Because they wouldn't be able to move a joystick, they would calibrate the decoder by imagining hand movements to targets. One of the things the Neuralinks allow Pager to do is to play his favourite video game, Pong. To control his paddle on the right side of the screen, Pager simply thinks about moving his hand up or down. We've removed the joystick altogether. Now that he's up to speed, let's increase the difficulty and see how well Pager can play with the Neuralink. As you can see, Pager is amazingly good at mind pong. He's focused and he's playing entirely of his own volition. It's not magic. The reason Neuralink works is because it's recording and decoding electrical signals from the brain. Great game, Pager. And what better reward for a monkey than a banana? (laughs)
0: Look at me, guys! (laughs) I got the Neuralink brain chip and a free banana! Um, (laughs) Yay! I haven't been this happy since I got my free donut for taking my experimental gene therapy! Oh, the plebs. You gotta love them. In the same way that a rancher loves his cattle, of course. Well, enough fun and games. Yes, rest assured, we are preparing the public for what's coming. But not what's really coming. And of course, that's what you're here today to, well, to find out. We are going to tell you what is really coming. And uh, that's not even being hidden. But as usual, the Monkeys will be placated by their bananas while the real work is going on subtly and under the cover of long, boring lectures that who would want to listen to any of those, right? Right.
7: So let's find out what this technology is really all about. Climate change is a really big problem. We don't really know how to solve it. But it turns out that we can use human engineering to help us address climate change. So I'll give two examples. So one is that Uh, People eat too much meat, right? And if they were to cut down on their consumption on meat, then they would uh, it would actually really help the planet. Uh, But people are not willing to give up meat. Yeah, you know, some people will be willing to, but other people they may be willing to, but they sort of they have a weakness of will. They say, "Wow, this this steak is just too juicy. I can't do it." I'm one of those, by the way. So you know, but so here's the thought, right? So it turns out that we know a lot about. So we have these intolerance. To, uh, so I, for example I have milk intolerance uh, and some people are intolerant to crayfish, so possibly we can use hu- human engineering to make it the case that we're intolerant to certain kinds of meat, to certain kinds of bovine, uh, bovine proteins, and there's actually analogs of this in life, there's this thing called the long star tick, where if it bites you, you will become allergic to meat, uh, I can sort of describe the mechanism, so that's something that we can do through human engineering, we can kind of uh, ad- possibly address really Big world problems through human engineering. Another example is, and uh, you go uh, first. Yeah. (laughs) And and another example is sort of, and here I'll go first. Right? Uh, You'll see that uh, I'm the smallest person here. Right? And uh, well, um, Uh, well, yeah, Amy's the smallest person. (laughs) So it turns out that the larger you are, think of the lifetime sort of greenhouse gas emissions that are required to sort of the energy that's required to transport larger people rather than smaller people. Right. Um, But if we're smaller just by 15 centimeters, right, that's a mass, uh, you know, I did the math and it's about mass reduction of 25 percent, which is huge. And 100 years ago, we're all on the average smaller, about exactly about 15 centimeters smaller. Right. So think of just the, you know, like lifetime greenhouse gas emissions if we had smaller children. Right? And so that's something that we could do through some well, sort so of human- could
4: influence. we? Like, setting yeah. aside, should we? Let's yeah. Sorry, let's just set that Sounds aside. Sounds like there's a
1: Randy Newman song in yeah. here somewhere.
8: I always tell my students, I said I wasn't around when they developed uh, atomic weapons. But um, Dr. Ventner's work is, my, um, my view, the equivalent of the development of nuclear weapons when you realize uh, that he created life in a cell back in 2010. I don't know if people are familiar with his work, but this technology paired with something called CRISPR, which is like an editing software for genes, makes a number of things immediately available. What he did is he programmed yeast cells to produce anything he wanted. They can produce perfume, they can produce petroleum, they can produce any peptide, anything we program the DNA to do, and it's in the living cell. So in medicine, the goal in medicine now is to be able to do uh, designer medicine and therapy if we can design a cell to get into your body and release the right product for you, you won't be losing half the drugs you take through your liver when you swallow a pill and it gets digested. These can be inserted into you through the hypospray uh, needles, almost like Dr. McCoy on Star Trek giving you the hyperspray. It just blasts now plasmids into your squamous cells. But Ventner uh, was able to do that and has the patent on the technology. But you can engineer anything you can engineer a unique thing that would only kill one person in the world.
9: We can utilize nanoscience to create much better drugs to get them where they gotta go in the brain. I can create nanoscience and nanotechnology to be able to escort certain drugs across the proliferant barrier, which is the blood-brain barrier and uh, blood-cerebrospinal fluid barrier. So I get these things where they gotta go. But I can also utilize nanoparticulate matter in a very indiscriminate way. The idea here is that I can get something called high CNS aggregation material that is essentially invisible to the naked eye and even to most scanners because it is so small that it selectively goes through most levels of filter porosity. These are then inhaled either through the nasal mucosa or absorbed through the oral mucosa. They have high CNS affinity. They clump in the brain or in the vasculature, and they create essentially what looks like a hemorrhagic diathesis, in other words, a hemorrhage predisposition or a clot predisposition in the brain. What I've done is I've created a stroking agent. And it's very, very difficult to gain attribution to do that. I can use that on a variety of levels, from the individual to the group, highly disruptive. And in fact, this is one of the things that has been entertained and examined to some extent by my colleagues in NATO and to those who are working on the use of neurobiological sciences to create populational disruption. Very, very worried about the potential for these nanoparticulate agents to be CNS aggregating agents to cause neural disruption either as hemorrhagic and vascular disruptors or as actual neural network disruptors because they interfere with the network properties of various neural nodes and systems within the brain.
0: (laughs) Oh yes, implantable nanobots and neuroweapons for mind control and engineering the human cattle so that they cannot even consume cattle. Oh, it's just so amazing. There is nothing... ...that we can't do once we start to unlock the human genome and start to treat it like the biological robot entity that it is. Infinitely malleable, infinitely programmable. We will have total control in the very near future. (coughs) Meanwhile, we still continue to feed them PR propaganda gutterswill about superhero vaccines... Like this one, superhero vaccine based on Olympic athlete DNA could provide body-wide genetic upgrade. Stanford Prof. says treatment would offer long-term protection against heart disease, Alzheimer's, and other health conditions. A groundbreaking superhero vaccine inspired by the DNA code of Olympic athletes could help transform society over the next decade, a top genetic scientist claims. The vaccine would provide lifelong protection against three of the top ten leading causes of death, according to Ewan Ashley, professor of medicine and genetics at Stanford University. The so-called superhero jab could offer simultaneous long-term protection against heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, and liver disease, thanks to advances... In genetic engineering, this breakthrough treatment would deliver the blueprint of ideal cells from men and women whose genes are more disease-resistant than those of the average person, together with an instruction manual to help the body repair, tweak, and improve its own version. A single dose could lead to a body-wide genetic upgrade that would cut the risk of premature death in some adults by as much as 50%. (laughs) And yes... A lot of people actually believe that this is what this is for, these DNA vaccines that we're already pioneering the technology for and already starting to indoctrinate the public to accept. And in fact, this wonderful PR hack in our service in this article goes on later in the article to compare this to an autocorrect feature uh, used to correct spelling mistakes, Well, that's all gene editing is. It's autocorrect. And we all know how infallible autocorrect is, don't we? (laughs) Ha ha ha. And yes, how many of the human cattle that we are engineering with these vaccines will even bother to look up the definition of eugenics and find that that is exactly what is being proposed in this article? Hardly one in a thousand, one in a million would ever put that together and look into the deep, dark history Of this subject, or look into someone like you and Ashley, who, of course, is giving webinars alongside Anne Wachitsky, the co-founder of 23andMe, and how many people will bother to look into the Wachitsky family and their deep ties to Silicon Valley and the very, very, very dark agenda that is being used to suck up the genome of the human species one person at a time, sending in their swabs like dutiful human cattle. It's all too perfect. Meanwhile, this is what we're really talking about here, this type of technology that we hide in the obscure academic journals that the human cattle will not bother themselves to read. So if you go to the briefing pack that I have provided for you uh, for this briefing, and the link is right here, Uh, In case you need that, you will find all of these documents, including this one, which we're going to turn to now from Nature in 2016, Bidirectional Electromagnetic Control of the Hypothalamus Regulates Feeding and Metabolism, which notes that targeted, temporally regulated neuromodulation is invaluable in determining the physiological roles of specific neural populations or circuits. Here we describe a system for non-invasive temporal activation or inhibition of neuronal activity in vivo, and it's used to st Oh. I'm sorry. I forgot who I'm talking to. Uh, I'll have to dumb it down a little, won't I? All right, well, all right. Let's turn to the next document in your briefing pack, the Rockefeller University's SEEK, which had this article in 2017 about the research, flipping a switch inside the head ready your tinfoil hats mind control is not as far-fetched an idea as it may seem in jeffrey m friedman's laboratory at the rockefeller university of course it happens all the time though the subjects are mice not people friedman and his colleagues have demonstrated a radio operated remote control for the appetite and glucose metabolism of mice a sophisticated technique to wirelessly alter neurons in the animal's brains at the flick of a switch they are able to make mice hungry or surpe- suppress their appetite while the mice go about their lives normally. It's a tool they're using to unravel the neurological basis of eating and is likely to have applications for studies of other hardwired behaviors. <laughs> well, well, we'll let you imagine what some of those other behaviors could be or how we can use this type of technology to manipulate them. And uh, don't worry, most people will not look into the work of Jose Delgado, for example, that's already been pioneering this type of invasive brain mind control technology for half a century. We'll still, still refer to it as tinfoil hat type of material in our write-ups of this, because you're still considered crazy for talking about this. We have woven such a wonderful propaganda web around all of these areas that we don't want the plebs to inquire too deeply into. All right, let's turn to the next document in the briefing pack. Once again, the link is available for all of you. Please get on board, download these documents, take a look. The next one is Human Augmentation The Dawn of a New Paradigm, a strategic implications project from the Ministry of Defense of the United Kingdom. And let's just turn to the executive summary, where we can find out a little bit about this concept of human augmentation, as presented to you by the fine folks in the UK military. The ability to enhance one's physical, psychological, or social capability has been a source of power throughout history and warfare is the epitome of this dynamic. The paradox of war is that humans are central to its conduct, but are also the weakest link. We want war fighters, whether they be cyber specialists, drone pilots, or infantry soldiers, to be stronger, faster, more intelligent, more resilient, and more mobile to overcome the environment and the adversary. We have designed increasingly complex technologies to enhance lethality, survivability, and mobility, As technology has become more sophisticated, our thinking has become more focused on the machine rather than the person. But this needs to change if we're going to be effective in the future. Recent advances in life sciences and related technologies have led to the emergence of the interdisciplinary field known as human augmentation, which has the potential to disrupt every aspect of our lives The interdependencies and potential implications of human augmentation are so vast and complex that it is difficult to make sense of what it means for the future of society and defense. The aim of this Strategic Implications Project is to take the first step in making sense of these potential changes to human capabilities. It offers a conceptual model for thinking about human augmentation, its future direction, and identifies key implications for defense and its stakeholders. Human augmentation will become increasingly relevant, partly because it can directly enhance human capability and behavior, and partly because it is the binding agent between peoples and machines. Future wars will be won not by those with the most advanced technology, but by those who can most effectively integrate the unique capabilities of both people and machines. The importance of human machine teaming is widely acknowledged, but it has been viewed from a technocentric perspective. Human augmentation is the missing part of this puzzle. Thinking of the person as a platform and understanding our people at an individual level is fundamental to successful human augmentation. Industrial age warfare saw people as interchangeable components of military units, or the material with which to operate the platforms, vehicles, aircrafts, and ships. These platforms are routinely monitored and analyzed, but it is remarkable that our ability to understand our most critical capability, the human, is so under-researched. Successful application of human augmentation demands a more sophisticated approach to understanding our people and their capabilities. Defining the key elements of the human platform, physical, psychological, and social, provides a conceptual baseline to enable a multidisciplinary conversation. Well, then, of course, in your own time, please go through and read that, the rest of that document, where you can find out more about this human platform and what can be done to modify and augment it. Of course, it's all about augmentation, eugenics. Of course, with that comes the shadow of dysgenics and how we can weaponize this against target populations not only in the enemy boogeyman population, but in our own population. But we'll leave that to the side, as we always do in documents like this, and leave them to the imagination of those whose entire career is dreaming up better ways to kill or control masses of people. But yes, you can read through this and find out more about the core human and in- augmentation technologies, exoskeletons, tele-existence, sensory augmentation, augmented reality, neurostimulation, genetic engineering, bioinformatics, uh, brain interfaces, pharmaceuticals, and how they can be used in one way or another to change what it means to be human. And you can also read uh, the, the authors of this document wrestling with the problems of, well, there may be an requirement a meth an meth- ethical or moral requirement to upgrade populations in the future and we'll have to decide who gets the upgrades and under what circumstances it must be made available as widely as possible in order not for it to develop any sort of horrible asymmetry in the population right oh so many so many things to discuss when we start talking about engineering the human species for our purposes I want to let everyone involved in this conversation here today know that although we do sometimes put out to the general public that this is all well off in the future in some far distant imagined universe, decades, generations hence, you won't have to worry your little heads about this. In fact, it's already starting to happen.
4: Why not talk about this a little more first? Like, like, it, I mean, just as, as soon as you start talking about it, we, you know, things get kind of out of crazy. So, so why didn't well, we? You, we
1: are talking about it. Well,
4: we are talking about <laughs> it, but you have already made it clear that you're going to. I mean, you have said you're going ahead and raising money and doing
1: it. Well, actually, full disclosure, I've been doing this since 2009, uh, <laughs> okay. building human genomes. We part of the reason we developed the CRISPR is because we had an NIH grant to engineer human genomes in cells. And turn those into organs, right? So we've been doing it. The so, question is, the, what does first mean, right? We've been talking about germline modification for longer than we've been doing CRISPR. Um, it comes up again. When
4: wait, so let's just talk. So explain what germline modification okay. is, and I just really.
1: It's what it's you. essentially what we're talking about. Yeah. It's making is changing not just our bodies, which is gene therapy, our adult bodies, but changing. Um, the inheritance of that. So we affect, we essentially do gene therapy on ourselves and our children and our grandchildren.
4: So it gets passed down. So you can make a change in an embryo and that embryo will grow up to have the trait that you change and then pass it down to his or her offspring. Yeah.
1: And this has already been done as well. So it's, we're, we're not, we're doing it first in that we're doing it, we're doing it constantly having these ethical conversations. We're also constantly practicing what we we claim to be as in the future. So there are many dozens of of children that are now teenagers that have had um, gene therapy on their germline.
3: Todd Huffman is a biohacker. His hair is often dyed some primary color or another. His appearance is otherwise indistinguishable from a lumberjack. Some years ago, Todd ordered a small neodymium magnet in the mail. He sterilized the magnet, sterilized a surgical knife, sterilized his hand, and implanted the magnet in his fingers. Now Todd feels magnetic fields. The magnet tugs when exposed to electromagnetic fields, and his nerves register this. Information normally invisible to humans is now streamed to his brain via the sensory pathways of his fingers. His perceptual world expanded the first time he reached for a pan on his electric stove. The stove casts off a large magnetic field because of the electricity running in a coil. He hadn't been aware of that tidbit of knowledge, but now he can feel it. Reaching out, he can detect the electromagnetic bubble that comes off a power cord transformer, like the one on your laptop. It's like touching an invisible bubble— one with a shape that he can assess by moving his hand around. The strength of the electromagnetic field is gauged by how powerfully the magnet moves inside his finger. Because different frequencies of magnetic fields affect how the magnet vibrates, he ascribes different qualities to different transformers in words like texture or color.
10: I expected we would be investing more in this clearly necessary core technology after the first Genome Project wrapped up in 2003. But by 2012, nothing had happened. And by 2015, still nothing had happened. That's when I got pissed off and I shot my mouth off at a Genome Meeting. And I said, please, can we, can we just start a new Genome Project and get the world scientists focusing on building design tools and new synthesis technologies to go and address these important needs in genome engineering, and the result was something called G- GP Write, Genome Project Write as opposed to Genome Project Read. It used to be HGP HGPRite, Human Genome Project Write, but there was kind of a backlash. <laughs> but humans are part of it. Now, I just want to say there's no synthetic babies here. Anyway, I am really, really fortunate that I have some of the most amazing co-founders of this project. George Church, who was just recently voted to the Times' 100 most influential people, the leader of the yeast genome project, Jeff Bucha, and Nancy Kelly, who has been a force of nature putting together big institutions like the New York Genome Center. Our next meeting is just next week. If any of you are interested in this stuff, register now. There's probably only a couple of spots left, but this is where you need to be if you're interested in building genomes. And again. There will be no synthetic babies. This is just being able to write large, complex genomes. And these meetings bring everyone together, the ethicists. They bring together the scientists. They bring together the policy folks. They bring together the funders. This is not about any single project. You may have seen this last week. It could get a little weird in the future.
8: Hopefully when I mentioned the word CRISPR and word editing and creating molecules with CRISPR out of D- and playing with DNA, some of you thought encryption and encoding. So DNA encryption, it, there were I think eight articles published by China in the course of three years, uh, in the last three years, and uh, it's uh, quite important. The coding system, DNA steganography, I'll just say short, the short story on this is people have figured out how to hide imagery in the DNA of bacteria and when you uh, phosphoresce the bacteria, you can discover the information or you can have the, those are just to remind me, you can have the information uh, reproduced in a string form as a form of a protein. Dr. Church up at Harvard uh, has shown quite well that you can store a lot of information in one gram of DNA. It's essentially, yeah, that that many iPads in one gram at room temperature. No supercooling required. DNA is highly stable. It's been around on the planet a very long time. So between CRISPR, the storage capacity, and programming cells, the new way to hide information is gonna be in DNA. The commercial application is gonna be a bit like on Star Trek years ago. Why would you have a digital system when you can have a DNA system? Can store all the information you'd ever need, records, photos, anything. It's simply another way of storing information. It had just been so slow up until five years ago it wouldn't be thought to be practical. But it is. This is the first experiment showing what imagery you can hide in bacteria. This is the latest. It's a GIF file. It was actually programmed into the DNA of bacteria last year. The bacteria reproduced and the offspring from the reproduction cycle would still produce this movie. Pretty cool. You can hide information in bacteria. And when the bacteria multiply, they can go into a spore form and last for a very long time. No one can scan you and find a bacteria. We don't have anything that can detect that. So if you want to be able to encode information, take pictures of information, create something in DNA and don't want it in your own body, it can be bacteria on some portion of your body. right? All they have to do is scrape it, let it grow in the Petri dish, and unpack the information. This is all available now. This isn't science fiction, but you can encode movies.
4: DARPA calls it transhumanism, military transhumanism. But in an interesting way, this is actually part and parcel of the whole movement towards robotics. It's not only making... Individual warfighters comfortable with robots. It's this idea of coupling man and machine and merging humans and machine. And DARPA is doing that with programs now with uh, what they call biohybrids, which people might call cyborgs. You know, they're able to actually control a rat's through a labyrinth remotely because they've implanted electrodes in its brain. They can do the same with a moth. DARPA in 2014 created a steerable moth by inserting electrodes in the pupa stage of the moth, which then transformed. The wings came out, and uh, this part of the machinery is now part of the animal system. DARPA is able to steer a moth.
8: James, fascinating... uh, uh presentation, uh, as I was listening to it, it made me think, I don't know why it popped into my head, but uh, there's a parasite that lives in the gut of cats.
9: Yes. Uh, Toxoplasmosis. Uh,
8: yeah. Yeah. And uh, the interesting thing about it is it has a very specific neurological effect on mice and makes them yes. unafraid of the cats. So a uh, nightmare scenario came to mind for me is uh, adversaries with less moral scruples than perhaps we have. Uh, what, what do you think is the uh, likelihood that uh, they are working on things like that to uh, inflict upon us uh, as, as weapons?
9: Uh, relatively high uh, in terms of the specificity and the advancement of such projects. I think there have been certain things, for example, in gene editing tools and other molecular biological tools that have sort of pumped up the volume on the pace. I also think that what tends to happen is we gain a better understanding of the mechanism, how something like toxoplasmosis or toxoplasma in the gut of a cat can then in fact affect its prey, so to speak, and what, what influences they might have. In other words, what is that inter- set of interactions mechanistically? And can that then be harnessed, if not adapted in certain ways, to create agents that might be viable in humans? The answer there is yes. As you saw the mm-hmm. that I was talking about, the idea of, of designer or precision pathogens... That's just what I was talking about. In other words, if I sort of know what makes you tick, can I then develop something that's going to affect your ticking and talking in such a way that's going to make it more amenable to my will, my intent, my outcomes?
0: (laughs) Excellent, excellent. Our plans are unfolding exactly on schedule. 2030, here we come. (laughs) Well... Okay, actually, there's just one little monkey wrench in the works here. It seems that some of the cattle are catching on to what we're doing here.
11: For all of those that have been watching this whole time and going, that's all fake news, you're misrepresenting all of it, none of that's even as dangerous as you make it sound, here is the actual reality. Smart dust. The idea of what these things actually are and what is really going on here. Now this, let's see if I can get it without playing right off the bat. This is is an expert speaking on this discussion. Now I include, this is actually the video right here. Oh, you can't see it. I'm looking at the other screen, but MakerCon, Alistair Allen and the quote, inevitability of smart dust. Now, this is an important discussion that I hope you will pay. Well, I hope you'll actually go through and listen to the whole thing, but I'm going to play a couple, just some parts of this and we'll go through and listen to them. But think about what he's saying here and how this relates to where we are now and what this means. If this was in existence a long time ago, right? If 10 years ago, you have the kind of stuff that you're seeing here, what he's showing you, and this will be in the video, but these are salt crystals. That's salt. That's table salt next to the size. Of what these actual biochips are. The real size of them. And he says this was years ago. So think about that in connection with the idea that the smallest biosensor possible for
12: cutting edge technology for COVID-19. I really found the Lone Star Tick interesting. You have a family member who has that. Uh, the, who is allergic to mammalian meat because of yes. the Lone Star Tick. That's right. The Alpha Gal syndrome. And I, I was curious, you know, based on researching Lyme disease, is this Alpha Gal syndrome? Is this Lone Star tick thing? Has this been around, you know, hundreds of years? Hmm. No. First case in 2002. No kidding. So the. You know the the crazy idea that everything's a bioweapon. Um, I'm I'm not saying for sure it's a bioweapon, but I'm definitely not prepared to rule out that possibility either. Sure. Especially sure. when you have people, a bioethicist, talking about how, well, wouldn't it be nice if we could just make everyone allergic to meat and then they wouldn't want to eat meat.
5: All right, so um, the second program they announced, I would argue is, uh, at least to me anyway, was the most disturbing. Um, It's called The First 1000 Days Promoting Healthy Brain Networks. Uh, It's specifically targeted at children from three months of age, uh, literal babies, uh, to three-year-old toddlers uh, who it seeks to have as its test subjects, essentially. And so this one really has three different components um, and and is frankly just... um, Mind-boggling. So, I would honestly, uh, if this sounds unbelievable to you, I would encourage you to go to either Welcome Leap's website or my article and read the official document <laughs> describing what this program is, which they abbreviate as 1KD, a much shorter version. Basically, what they want to do initially is uh, surveil Through various means, uh, including wearables, eye tracking technology, 24 7 surveillance of uh, the youngest children um, in order to risk stratify them, predict their responses to interventions in uh, their developing brains. for, for various reasons, but the the first uh, goal is to basically use um, this access to, to children's brain uh, brains to map them on a on a massive scale, as many kids as possible, in order to develop what they call the second goal an in-silico model of a human developing brain, um, essentially, you know, uh, something as close as they could really get uh, to the singularity, uh, basically, uh, you know, machine intelligence that rivals and surpasses human intelligence, which has not happened uh, up to this point, but it has been an open goal of futurists and transhumanists. Um, people like Ray Kurzweil, the Google, Google's former futurists, have been very, Um, open about uh, the desire for the singularity and how a lot of these people think that uh, this AI-powered control grid cannot actually be established until a singularity is developed and and present. So they essentially um, are looking to create a, a prototype Uh, an artificial neural network that would essentially be a model for that uh by um mapping and and surveilling really uh the brains of of babies and toddlers in order to presumably uh from there have something that develops a brain uh artificial brain model that develops from from there like a normal human would over time but that's not where the program ends um, beyond that, what they want to do then is once they have this model of the uh, perfect, I guess you could say, developing brain, uh, they want to then go to, within 10 years, 80% of children and use that model to um, assess children's brains to see if they fit this model or not, and if they do not fit it, to intervene in their developing brains so they fit this AI model of the correct brain, which in the hands of these people is just totally nuts. And honestly, talking about this, even as I was writing it, it's really hard to find words uh, to describe what this is, but really, you know, if allowed to advance specifically to that third stage, uh, could easily eliminate human creativity, uh, cre- uh, the capacity for imagination uh, at a critical time in, in a human being's development. Um, And if you uh, when we get to the last program, you know, it becomes pretty clear that that Welcome Leap has an agenda like that um, for adults as well. But the fact that they are targeting uh, children specifically and plan to target them in a massive way uh, within 10 years is just stunning. Um, And I think shows that these people really think um, they cannot be stopped. And it's really, you know. Uh, I would argue, up to um, concerned parents and concerned citizens um, to protect the most vulnerable from this type of invasive technology.
0: Now, gentlemen and ladies, I hope you understand the gravity of what we're witnessing here. Don't let the devilish good looks of this James Corbett distract you from the fact that, unfortunately, some of the population is actually catching on to this. They are reading these documents. They are finding out more about what the real agenda is here. And worst of all, they are spreading those ideas to others so that other people will recognize and be able to see through our propaganda. And not only that, they're conscious of how important that is to derailing this agenda. And we have to see that for what it is, see through it and not comply, not cooperate, not feed them our data, easier said than done. Even a conversation like this one is going to end up on GooTube. Where it is going to end up in the Google servers that is going to do its algorithmic uh, uh, thing to uh, to analyze our voices and come up with the automatic transcription of everything that we 're saying that gets fed into and part, uh, part of the, the the feedback process for developing language recognition, for example, which um, is is one of those examples of something that I I have been involved with I suppose for a decade now because I upload things to YouTube and I remember, I remember in 2000, I think it was 11, 12 somewhere like that where they first started doing this. We're going to auto transcribe the videos and I remember turning that on just to see what it looked like and it was gobbledygook. It was nonsense. It was stupid. It was almost like a game. Turn it on and see what the the automatic captions were and it was always just total garbage nonsense. And, And then I remember I remember a year or two later, I checked again and, oh, it's perfect now. Oh, it's getting every word. And now it's at the point where literally sometimes I have to turn on the captions to understand because I can't hear, physically hear what someone is saying and the captions have it. It, it's gotten really creepy. How did that happen? Because millions and millions and millions of people are uploading millions and millions of hours of video every single day so that these algorithms can get better and better and better at detecting human language. That's how it works. This was based on Google Voice, which was a handy little feature that they rolled out a decade and a half ago. People used, then they discarded it. Well, what was all that about? Oh, they were just harvesting your voice data so that they could work on their language recognition algorithms. This is how it works. Amazon Echo. Uh, Everyone's got an Amazon Echo and now, oh, by the way, did you know they've got Amazon Sidewalk now and everyone with an Echo is part of this wireless network that's just scanning everything all the time or the ring cameras. Every single piece of this, the phone that everyone is carrying around with them is part of this architecture and more and more and more people are buying and buying into this wearable trackable technology that's becoming more and more invasive and is starting to take more and more. And hey, now it's the, it's the fitness Fitbit or whatever that, oh, it'll read your brain scans. Oh, it'll tell you everything about yourself. We have to resist this. We have to understand where this is going and we have to not, at the very least, not buy this technology which they are using to scrape up and snarf up all our data on us. I'm sorry, that was more of a rant than a question, but feel free to interject with your own.
5: (laughs) No, no, I mean, I I totally agree. Um, You know, I I think people uh, in their personal lives need to take this information and and decide on a red, where they draw the line when it comes to this technology. If you need a a smartphone for work or whatever, you know, fine, but you don't need a smartwatch. You don't need uh, a Google Nest or an Amazon Echo. uh, I mean, I I really don't, uh, you know, I personally don't, see why people need that Uh, but you know obviously you're feeding a very different type of beast even than you are uh, with a smartphone to a degree Um, but there's all things uh you know people can do in terms of how they use tech uh, to feed this as as little as possible um i would argue um one big step you know uh decouple yourself from google products Um, as much as possible Um, in social media networks like Twitter and Facebook are openly partnering, for example, with the Biden administration's war on domestic terror um, and also feeding this uh, AI beast, as it were, Um, you know, if you want to uh, follow people on there on Twitter, for example, um, make a burner account where you follow people, but you don't like or comment on anything or something like that, or just get off it entirely, you know, because not only are you feeding the AI beast, you're feeding the war on domestic terrorism uh, in the US to a significant degree, it's time to opt out. Um, of these systems, really the way out um, of this whole mess, um, as I see it, is really counter economics and refusing to use the products of the corporations and and refusing to be dependent on the government supporting this, because without uh, us needing them, they just go away. Uh, Really, the only reason they're able to do this and exert this much power and influence is because people are so dependent uh, on them. And um, I think the more we can get away from that, uh, the better off. Uh, We ultimately will be, but a lot of it comes down to deciding to take a principled stand over your convenience and your comfort. Yes, a lot of these new technological advances may make, you know, this thing more convenient. Oh, it's certainly more convenient to unlock my phone with my face. Then by entering a six-digit PIN, you know, once it gets to that point, um, you know, you've been had, I would argue, by this um, marketing bit of, uh, you know, convenience um, trumping, you know, your data uh, and privacy and and all of this stuff. It becomes a data harvesting uh, operation, which you can argue it, it has been. You know, from the get go, maybe the Internet as a whole um, is even that. But I think we just need to be a lot more conscientious um, about the stuff and and start taking principled stands, even if it may be slightly less convenient for you. It's really the least we can do uh, to fight back against this and sort of uh, at the very least um, resist this uh, effort to herd us in this particular direction by offering things that add more and more convenience with every advance, you know, it's time to be like, no, what I have is enough. I don't need any more and just stop it there. You know, I'm not going to tell people what to do, but every individual has, you know, a line they can draw um, in that regard. And it's really quite time to start doing so.
0: Now, sadly, I realize that the members of this illustrious committee are not selected by their intellectual acuity so much as their devotion to the agenda and their ability to comply with the diktats of the deep state. So I will underline these points for the heart of thinking. Of course, what these people are talking about in this intercepted enemy transmission that we came across online is, of course, the Achilles heel of this agenda. Can you imagine, if not just hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands, or millions of people were awake and aware of this agenda. Can you imagine if they were able to see through our carefully constructed propaganda and realize that this is not about helping cripples type or any other feel-good sentiments, that this is truly about controlling the human population on a genomic level? Can you imagine if they stopped accepting and actually purchasing the technology of enslavement that is being used to construct this biodigital convergence grid around them. Can you imagine if they stopped willfully rolling up their sleeves to accept our experimental medical interventions? Can you imagine a mass non-compliance movement in the face of this agenda? It could derail that agenda. We could, at the very least not reach our magical goal of 2030 as the end date for this agenda. But that won't happen, will it? I mean, after all, as I say, these are big, complicated documents, scientific journals, big lectures using lots of big, polysyllabic, science-sounding words... Most people in the public won't care, right? We'll just give them the beer and their football and they'll go back to sleep. That's the way it always works, isn't it? And besides, this briefing pack of of all of these documents and materials that could lead people down this path to start understanding this agenda is only available on this live stream transmission just between us in our little committee and it will never be picked up and distributed broadly to the masses. (laughs) Ha ha It's our little secret. This link that's right on the screen here, only you in this committee can possibly go to that link and start learning more about this information. Hmm. Yes, yes, it is almost... Within our grasp, we almost have completed our dream of achieving the speciation of the human species into us, the superclass, and the compliant human cattle subspecies that we will rule over forever. It is almost here, and unless the masses get activated on this issue... It is within our grasp. Well, committee, I think we'll leave it there for today. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guessed my name.